Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Many of us face overloaded lives, right? Going too fast, trying to do too much, all to the detriment of those we care about most. And uh, I want to welcome you to, uh, to week two of our current series, Margin, in which we're acknowledging that many of us live life at this breakneck pace that has very little room for margin. Margin, if you recall, is that extra space, that buffer zone that exists between our load, that is what we take on in our lives, and our limit, what we can sanely handle. So scheduling margin means that you would actually arrive at school or the office or church with time to spare, not, you know, trucking through the parking garage, you know, a la chariots of fire. Uh, emotional margin means you actually have the bandwidth to help your, your spouse, your partner in a moment of crisis, not just blow her off or blow him out of the water. You've got extra, you've got reserves so you can actually handle it. Uh, and financial margin would mean you actually have money left over at the end of the month. Imagine that. What do you know? I've got surplus. How, why? And, and you're rolling your eyes because most of us are not living lives of margin with extra space or time or extra money to spare, but lives of overload. Maxed out. Take it to the limit living that actually leaves no breathing room whatsoever. At least that's what you told me in the survey that I, I posted to you last week. Where I ask you to place yourself on, on the following scale. Do you lean more towards overload, where you're down kind of negative 10, where you're constantly on the go, always on the spend, you're just a ball of stress, or, or are you actually more balanced as you move towards zero, or do, or do some of you actually experience what I'm talking about? You actually have extra time in your life. Imagine. Extra money to spare. You're, you're, yeah, no. Your life is well ordered and marked actually by peace, not chaos. It's full, but it's not frenetic. It's interesting, but we had over uh, 800 people come through these doors last Sunday. I asked each of you to fill out this connection card and, and place yourself on, the, on that scale. And what number would you actually represent your life? And ask you to write your number next to your name on the card. Do you want to take a guess at the average ranking in this congregation here at Liquid? I want to take a guess at the average, the mean? Negative 5.2. That's where the average person at Liquid is living. Negative 5.2. Pretty much at the breaking point of stress or overload. Now, again, accurate read, we threw out the extremes. One lady in our congregation actually wrote negative 20 next to her name, all right? And we just figured, you know what? <laughs> let's, you know, let's just take a collection and send her to a spa, you know? It's like, throw out the extremes. But, but what you did write was revealing. Many of you commented on the effects that marginless living is having on you. One guy actually wrote, it's physical. He said this. He said, my work overload has materialized in a 20-pound weight gain this past year, I never connected the impact of marginless living until this morning. You know what he's talking about. When you're going 90 miles an hour, right, Carol? It's just kind of like, you know, you, you got time for one thing, right? Fast food. <laughs> In Starbucks and drive throughs and kiosks at airports. So your schedule gets jammed and your waistline expands. And he wrote, would you pray for me as I ask Jesus to remove that burden this fall? Physical effects of marginless living. Emotional. One gal wrote this. She said, funny you should take uh, the scale today of all days. I think I felt at my all-time highest overload and reached my breaking point on the way to church. I almost didn't come because there is so much to do before tomorrow. And she actually grabbed me in the lobby afterwards and told me how she actually sat in her car crying before coming in last Sunday. She can't keep all the plates spinning. Emotional breakdown. Her bandwidth just totally expired. Marginless living has relational impacts. Um, one online listener posted her comments on liquidchurch.com. She said this, I listened to the podcast this morning on a long walk in the park, and when I heard the words, I want to get off the strawberry, tears just fell down my cheeks. I ache with the tension and pace of a 24-7 schedule I keep with four kids and a household to run. 
I've been trying to cut back and say no, and yet I'm still overwhelmed and sometimes can't breathe in deeply without pain in my chest. I'm very good at minimizing any pains and plowing through life, but it isn't calm. Jesus invites us to rest, and that word was so powerful. I want to rest with God and my family. I want off the freaking treadmill because life is not fuller with all the to-dos. It's only hollow busyness. I can easily say I'm at negative eight, and that's not how I want to live this life. I want to have deeper relationships, intense and passionate relationships with my spouse, my children, my friends, and with God. Any moms identify with that? You know, single parents, single dads. Yeah, having your margins squeezed, and the people you love most, your, your, your spouse or your kids, get the leftovers. It actually affects our moral choices. One gal in her 20s, she said this, I need margin most in the area of morality. I make decisions I don't feel good about. She feels the pressure of being with, 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 with people or men who actually stretch her boundaries morally. So she feels under pressure to make decisions that she's not comfortable with, that conflict with her values. Margin is a profoundly spiritual issue. One person wrote, they said, uh, I recently started coming to Liquid after being burned out from serving at another church. And they're wondering if this is a safe place to heal. Or are we just going to ask her to kind of stretch herself and get on our treadmill all in an effort to be a good Christian? Because that's what Christians do. They stay busy, 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 right? Really. And finally, financial. That was, that touched a nerve. <laughs> that's a sore spot for many of you. It was actually the second greatest area of felt need among people responded. And I thought this, I thought this was hysterical. This post on Liquid, not hysterical. Well, all right, just as funny. This person on, posted on liquidchurch.com. They said, this message series is overdue, so overdue for us. Our marriage is a mess of jumbled schedules, missed signals, and emotional frustration because of our lack of margin. Case in point. During the message, when you asked us to write the area we need margin most, I stuck a peek at what my wife was putting down. Secretly hoping that she'd finally put our relationship down as a priority, but found myself in tears when she wrote finances in big capital letters. We need it everywhere, and I suspect we're not alone. You are not alone. Not by a long shot. I mean, if this little survey in your post or any indicator, we are a congregation on speed. An epidemic of hurry sickness has engulfed us, and we're headed for the cliff like in overdrive, in overleased cars, drinking a double latte all the way. It is no wonder you received Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 with, with, with such fervor last week where he says, Come to me, every one of you who are weary, the speed of life, burdened, the heaviness of what you're carrying, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, says Jesus. For I'm actually the opposite. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke, my way of living is easy and my burden is light. It's an incredible invitation that God makes here to slow down, to take a load off and adopt a whole new perspective, a whole new way of actually living, not more and more faster and faster, not negative 5.2, but imagine being centered, actually focused, content with what you have, with the space and time, the, the margin to make wise decisions, room to love and actually enjoy the ones that you love, to, to savor life. Jesus suggests here that it is possible for you to pursue a lot of good things in life and yet still miss out on the good life. And that's not what God created you for. You were created to experience life to the full, which is different than just a full life, you know, jammed to the brim, maxed out by stress and anxiety. The number one area you said you need margin and actually fell under the banner of time which, interestingly enough, you connected to emotional and relational impact. Like, I don't have enough time for my, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, kids, God, whatever. Number two was financial. Many of you feel strapped. 
unable to live within your means and you just want to get out from underneath like the stranglehold of debt and spending. You're like, I got to get out of New Jersey. It's just New Jersey. That's what it is. No. It actually has profound spiritual implications. So that's a diagnosis, and it's depressing if you just stop there. But today is hope because we start to get practical. Today and next week, we're going to address those issues of time and relationships and overwork and the need for downtime. Just kind of a new pace, the secret of Sabbath. And then in two weeks, we will hit the financial issue head on. Very practical steps. Does that sound okay? Sound good? All right, let's pray and ask God to just lead us into his truth. Um, Jesus, I saw myself. And every comment on each card, each post and and email and desperate cry for help. Lord, we've all been there. And we know you sympathize with us. Um, you You don't have judgment or condemnation for us. But you actually extend your hand, Jesus, and invite us to discover a whole new way of life, the God life. Not just the good life, but the God life with you at the center. So lead us beside still waters, even now, today. Would you refresh our souls, God, for the week and guide us into your word. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter five, verses 12 through 15. This will be our anchor text for today. It's on page 127. If you're using the, uh, the Bible in your seat, Deuteronomy is found in uh, the old Testament. It's part of the Pentateuch. You know what Penta means? Five. Good. So it's the first five books of the Bible. It's the Jewish law portion of scripture. And this excerpt is, um, is actually from a larger teaching that has 10 laws, or 10, how would you say them, commandments, as you've probably heard them called. And it's funny, because when we think of commandments, we think of laws primarily about, like, well, what you should not do, right? Thou shalt not murder. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. Thou shalt not, you know, leave your cell phone on in church. The big ones, right? But this is one of the only commandments stated in positive terms. Here's what you should do. And it goes like this. Thou shalt... Take a day off. It's a little more involved than that. Let's read it together. Start Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Zip. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You need to know something here, folks. Don't hear this wrong. Work is good. There's nothing wrong with work. God God created it. God himself is a worker. He is a creator, and we are made in his image. And so so work is not the enemy here. Overwork is the issue of our day. Because God says, in six days, you shall do all your labor and all your work. In other words, go for it. Use your God-given talents and abilities to provide for your needs, all right? To pursue purpose and meaning. If you're a musician, play music. If you're a businessman, go for it. Make sales, make money. If you're you're a mom, nurture those kids. If you're a student, study, excel. But, verse 14, big but. We love big buts at Liquid. Look at this. Verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any. Work. And this word Sabbath or Shabbat 
began for the Hebrew people on Friday at sundown, when they actually they, they closed their laptops, they put down all their work, they turned off their, stopped texting, and they ceased to do anything. Imagine that, no texting, all Saturday, right? With one goal in mind, to rest. No work. It literally was boil your water, bake what you need in advance, but there will be no effort on the Sabbath. No labor, no toil, no, no business. So comprehensive was God's mandate for rest. He actually says, and that includes your animals, <laughs> your, your servants, even the alien within your gates, the guy who does your landscape. In other words, you are not only not to do work, you aren't even to give work. So if you're a, a boss or you A-typers who are in charge of stuff, listen up so that your manservant and maidservant, the people who work for you, that they may rest as you do. Mandated margin from God himself. Wow. Novel concept. Actually says the entire day is to be holy, and that's a, a fancy word for saying set apart for a special purpose. Well, what's the special purpose? You ready? Here it is. Doing nothing. Resting. Giving dedicated time to this. The profoundly spiritual activity of a gift from God to his people. Thou shalt take a day off. By the way, this is where we get, get, get our, our weekend. I mean, most Westerners, we think of the Sabbath as like, you know, the end of our week, right? Our Sunday, because Monday's like the beginning of the start of the worth week. But the Sabbath was originally on Saturday and was intended as a gift to reestablish one thing, that we are creatures with limits, finite capacity, who need to rest and need space and time to reestablish the priority of God actually in our lives. I mean, it's a telling commentary that many people see it now as a, as a necessary evil, you know, to take a day off. But now keep going, because here's the interesting part. Look at this in verse 15. It says, now the word was rest. Now here's the second word, R-E. Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see that word remember? You can circle that. You're going to see that time and time again whenever there's teaching on the Sabbath in Scripture. Because here's the deal. First purpose of Sabbath was to rest. But the second purpose of the Sabbath was remembering. And you're like, well, remembering what? And all of a sudden, the writer of Deuteronomy, he like drops a little history lesson on us. And he's like, that you were what? Slaves in Egypt. See, this book was written after Pharaoh had enslaved the Israelite nation, and he was actually building his empire on the weary backs of slave labor. The Hebrew, this is a critical moment in Hebrew history. And the work ethic mandated by Egyptian slave, uh, you know, slave masters, they could have been union guys. They were merciless. Day after day, Hebrew men and women actually chained together, pushed to the breaking point in the sweltering sun as they made bricks for Pharaoh's vast construction programs. Exodus 1.11 describes it this way. It says, so the Egyptians organized the Hebrews into work gangs. Think of like, you know, business teams and put them to hard labor under gang foremen. Think chain gang. They built the storage cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. Think, you know, uh, uh, pyramids. The Egyptians got so they couldn't stand the Israelites and treated them worse than ever, crushing them with slave labor. They made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and backbreaking work in the field. They piled on the work, crushing them under the cruel workload. Talk about a tough day at the office. The picture the Torah gives of the Hebrew workload is crushing, oppressive, pushing someone past the breaking point. And you see the tools of slavery, chains, bondage, whips, work harder and harder, go faster and faster. And here's the deal. Historians suggest that literally thousands 
of tens of thousands of Hebrew men literally dropped dead from exhaustion in the Egyptian heat. Anyone ever travel to Egypt? You ever see the pyramids? I'm talking about a construction project. This is not renovating your bathroom, okay? Entire generations dropping dead from overwork, back-breaking loads, literally work to the point of death. And those of you who are teetering on the edge of burnout, you can relate. Because maybe you're not being whipped at work. You don't even need it because you're driven. You drive yourself. You don't need to whip the weekly spreadsheet or the financial report. That's just enough. Or maybe you're breaking your back at, at home. I mean, you're not building a city, but you're running a house, which means, you know, wiping noses, wiping behinds, cooking meals, cleaning up meals, decorating rooms, running back and forth from this event to that one. I was actually speaking with a guy last week. He's like, I was like, how's it going? He's like, I'm in code red at work. I was like, what's code red? He says, once October hits, he goes, I usually work 40 to 50 hours, actually normal. Like that's my normal. He goes, it literally doubles on the 1st of October, 80 to 90 hours a week. I give my wife a kiss at the beginning of the week, and I say, don't, don't expect me back, sweetheart, as if he's, like, going off to war. <laughs> you know what the most stressful job is, actually, in all of North America, most, most stress-related, stress intensive? has to do with uh, airports. Anyone? Yeah, air traffic controllers, right? All these things and minute decisions having to be precision-made, all coming at you. Maybe you saw the movie Pushing Tin. Uh, you, you know what the number two most stressful job is in America? Yours. It's true. You don't have to be landing planes to be pushed to your limit. I had what I call a pushing Tim moment, actually, last week. Uh, in the midst of this series, it began uh, a week ago when we decided we actually had to have our bathroom renovated. Um, it was not a desire. It was a need. There was actually the toilet was leaking out. The faucets actually came off. It cr tile crumbling. So we we're like, we got to do this. We got to make it happen. So construction begins that Monday, and they pull up this big dumpster, you know, boom, you know, in our in our uh, garage or our uh, part driveway there, and the, and you know. Here comes all the plaster and the dust and, and, the, and everything, just chaos. So we're like, we got to get out of the house. My wife works uh, one or two days a week in Manhattan. So, um, so my grandpa their grandparents, my parents, take the kids on Thursday and Friday. So we drive them. Colleen drops them off Thursday. And Colleen goes to the, the office, and she calls me just in a panic on, on, on Thursday afternoon. I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? She's pretty even-keeled about stuff. She goes, you can't, you can't believe it. You can't believe it. Their server at work that had the last two years of all billing, transcript, purchase orders, everything was completely wiped clean. No backup. They lost everything during routine maintenance. She goes, you, you can't believe it. And I knew it wasn't because when I saw her, she, her, her chest was all blotchy red. And that's when my wife gets really stressed. And she was like fired up about this. And she's like, I don't know when I'm going to be home. And she came home and it was 1030. And I was like, hey, great. I got to work on this margin thing. So I'll, I'll meet you there. You know, we're late. And, and we get home and we got no kids. So, you know, wow, you know, here we go. Romance. Yeah, right. Boom. <laughs> we just collapsed into bed, fully clothed, literally. Thursday night, same thing Friday, 1130 at night. Parents kept the kids. Come back. Oh, we got a free net. Boom. Just totally exhausted. And she's just like, you can't believe what's happening at work. So Saturday morning, we go to pick up the kids. They're hanging with my parents. They're lovely folks and everything. But you know, I mean, you know, family can bring its own special brand of stress. Uh, just leave it at that. Uh, and, you know, not always you guys know, it's not always relaxed to be a family. But we get home Saturday night, and, and we, like, bathe the kids, and we, and, we, and we clean up the house and everything. And I set the alarm because I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. because i got to, you know, get to church and everything. So I wake up Sunday morning, 5 a.m., and I'm walking through the living room. And as I'm walking, I just, I'm like, I don't, my eyes are closed, but I don't think I'm supposed to hear splashing as I walk through the living room. What, what the, an inch of water. 
on my living room floor because one of the contractor guys had actually left one of the, the dials on it, 40 gallons of water in the, in the boiler, and it just was coming out. So this is 5 a.m. On, on the Sabbath. And, uh, and I got the towel, started, you know, putting it all in there, duct tape around the, you know, radiator, because that's, that's about as far as I go there. And, uh, you know, call the, the oil guys, whatever, they're going to come. And, and, and I was like, Kyle, don't bother coming to church. Well, she came to church, and she was like, it's okay. The guy's coming around 1 o'clock, you know, everything will be covered. I'm like, oh, that's good. So I, you know, went to church. Well, the guy got there, Colleen's there, she got the two kids on her hips and everything. And, uh, and the guy gets there, and he takes the little, the little valve off the radiator, and it starts coming off out of every radiator on the first floor, water, just pouring. So she calls me. I'm with you. I'm not listening to this. I don't have this thing on. I'm not nothing, right? So this thing's going off. She calls me seven times in a span of 40 minutes because the house is literally starting to flood. But I'm at church. I'm on, it's Sabbath. And uh, I got her message around 9.30. After we cleaned up from this service and called her, hey, what's going on? Everything cool? Now, here's the deal. My wife is Irish and Italian. <laughs> and she has a gift, this incredible gift of expressing her feelings um, in, a, in, a, in a, very, um, a very convincing way when she is frustrated. She told me I could share this with you, but she was upset. She's like, where were you? See, where were you? I called seven times, you know, I'm all by, by, you know, you're at church all the time and everything. And I just, wait, what in the world? And we got into, we had a terrific row. I come home, things were tense. We both, you know, fourth night in a row, bed, (laughs) angry on top of it. So I wake up Monday morning, walk downstairs, and the ceiling is coming out of the living room because they're ripping it down. They were supposed to. But I was like, how symbolic? You know, everything is falling to pieces. And so we get out of the house. We drop Chase off at school. Walker's crying. And we start talking in the car about what happened the night before. And she's just like, I can't believe you're... And I just, this ugly moment tell you, I exploded. I was like, I was there 16 hours yesterday. It was an ugly moment with my soulmate in the front seat and my firstborn in the back seat. And it frightened even me. Boom. Volcano. And then somewhere in the distance, I heard a rooster crowing. Because <laughs> I am less than 24 hours removed from the kickoff of the series on margin and both my wife and I, we literally hit our breaking points. The stress from her work, my hours, the kids, the projects, too much. And we started taking aim at each other as if we're the enemy. Our load had actually exceeded our limits. That's what you call overload. Which left untreated leads to this little thing called burnout. Interesting fact, if you go back to Egypt and Israel, do you know what beast, what animal was most commonly ridden in the ancient Middle East? It's on the screen. A camel. Familiar with a little phrase about a camel? The straw that... Broke the camel's back. Check this out. A camel can carry, incredible animal, it can carry 10 times its body weight on its back. It's just an incredible beast. Imagine that 10 times your body weight able to carry. Here's the deal. One gram above its body weight, you know what happens? Its back breaks. It literally snaps in two. That's where we get our saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. So what broke the camel's back? The straw, just the little or the gradually increasing load that was placed on it day after day. They say that burnout happens in one of two ways. Gradually, or very slowly, 
and then all at once. (laughs) The picture that the Torah gives us is life past the breaking point where your work literally begins crushing the life out of you. It is the picture we're given in Exodus of these Israelites in slavery. They made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and backbreaking work in the fields. They piled on the work, crushing them under the cruel workload, driven, overworked, pushed to the point of exhaustion, where your life becomes so heavy, your work literally begins killing you. Your load exceeds your limit. There's no margin. Here's the crazy part. What's crazy is that the Israelites were in slavery, but we're not. And yet, we push ourselves to the point of exhaustion and bitterness and overload in all the same ways. Why? Why do we do that? Why why do we allow such overload in our lives when we take on these self-imposed loads that exceed our God-given limits? When we know it's catastrophic to our relationships, to those who we love, to our souls. And there are many reasons, but three come to mind immediately. You know what the first one is? Fear. I think a lot of us are scared. Scared that if we don't accept every invitation to every event, we may miss out. That if we don't overschedule, you know, our our kids and get them all signed up for all the sports activities and classes and clubs, they may miss out. Or if I don't take on, you know, a a double mortgage and and stretch myself so thin to expand my apartment or townhome or or get a new car, I'm scared. I'll fall behind my friends or neighbors or coworkers who are upgrading because I got to keep up. Fear is a factor for a lot of us. Think about your relationships. If I, don't, if I don't stretch my moral margin and go along with what my boyfriend's pressuring me to do, he, he may dump me. I'm scared of him. He may, I may lose him. I'll miss out. I, I'm afraid of losing her. So we stay in relationships and we take on responsibilities that stretch our margins past where we know we should go all out of fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of not keeping up. You know another one is? You guys told me about this. Guilt. How about that one? <laughs> one woman wrote, I'm between negative 4 and negative 10, depending on the day. But it's what her comments on the back. She said, Tim, I actually feel guilty when I rest. Call a friend, read a magazine. Because I feel I should be working nonstop during the day, Monday through Friday, to get everything done. Anyone relate to that? If you take a moment, you you just feel guilty. i got to be doing something. Another one wrote, I'm in my residency in a newlywed, and I'm having a hard time keeping up. Lots of guilt, she underlines. We are not a culture that encourages people to slow down or say no. (laughs) In some less advanced areas of the world, speed actually is not a way of life. (laughs) They actually take things slow or say no, but not in the Wild West. Constant activity is a characteristic of our age, and if we're not doing something, we feel like slothful. Like, if we're not cranking out, we feel guilty. And some of that is culturally imposed, but you know what? Some of it is self-imposed. How many of us say yes to things because we're worried, I may let someone else down. They've got expectations that I be there. And I should... This is what one person wrote on her card. I need to grow in the area of scheduling margin. But how can I learn to say no? Because when I let others down, I feel like I let God down too. You see the spiritual connection? It's the gospel Americanized. If I'm not constantly proving myself or pleasing others, then I'm a disappointment. To which Jesus says, come to me. You who are weary and burdened and slow down. I'm not like that. You have nothing to prove to me. And I am pleased with you just when you sit at my feet, Mary. Come out of the kitchen, Martha. You've got nothing to prove. Guilt drives us to overwork. It's like we're powerless to draw boundaries sometimes. Which is ironic. (laughs) 
Because the third reason we overwork is actually a delusional sense of how powerful we are. I call it the Superman syndrome, right? How many of you, you've got the shirt. We believe we have no limits. Because we live and act and take on loads and calendars as if we have the superhuman capacity. You A-typers know what I'm talking about. Don't act, don't start looking like, who's that? I don't know. Not me. You know, the high-powered executive, the do-it-all, the do you know, teacher, the, the can-do kid, you can do it, you know, and, or, or your newlywed or Bible study leader. There's no to-do list that I cannot conquer without the help of caffeine. <laughs> Woo! You know the Genesis account. That, that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and you're jealous. <laughs> man, kind of product. I'd like to see his resume. That is... Man. It's just the, sev- it's the seventh day that you trip over when, when it says, well, and then God rested from all his work. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, we all need a day. But you can't even relax on that day because you're just consumed with thoughts of what you could be doing, right? So what does the Sabbath become? It just becomes a day of a different kind of work, right? Cleaning out the garage, catching up on the bills, or going shopping. And there's two, a couple ways to skin a cat. You're clever. <laughs> A-typers don't get to where they're at, running companies, running schools, managing multiple accounts, or leading churches by being still, by taking a true Sabbath rest. I used to actually believe this about myself as recently as a couple years ago. It wasn't really till I spent some time in counseling with Pastor Glenn that uh, my Superman tendency hit me in the face. I remember Glenn actually saying to me, he said this, he said, Tim, let me ask you just one question. Is there ever a moment in your life that you take off that cape? I was like, what? <laughs> what? What? He goes, no, the, the Superman cape. I mean, you got a lot of, wow, hat, you know, pastor, leader, communicator, visionary, husband, father. When, when just... When are you just plain old Tim? When, when does the cape come off? Then he stared at me. <laughs> and I remember like being totally dumbstruck by that question. Like, like what? what? Like searching my memory, like, when, when do I take off the cape? Well, I don't. <laughs> you know what scared me about my answer? I felt privately proud of that. See, I have these tendencies. I know I'm not alone. It is a particularly strong impulse in men related to our sense of masculine strength and achievement. I mean, overwork is celebrate our culture. It's when you get a promotion. It's why you get a raise. It's the stuff legends are made of. Just ask Kurt Schilling. Who knows what this is? Anyone know? Take it back a few years. The bloody sock. Take it back, Yankee fans. I know, I know. Still a sore subject. Let's have a moment of silence for Joe Torre. Goodbye, Moses, right? Five million, not enough. All right. Anyway, the sock. Kurt Schilling is a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And this goes back to 2004 when the Yanks were playing them in the playoffs. And Kurt Schilling was the ace of the Red Sox at the time. Only there was one problem. He tore the tendon in his ankle. He actually ripped the sheath surrounding the tendon that held it to the bone early in the series. So when it came to game six, to, to play for all the marbles, you know, Schilling was out. At least, you know, his family was like, you know, he's out. The doctors recommend he's out. But in an unprecedented move, minutes before game six, you remember this? The, the bullpen doors swing wide, and who comes kind of hobbling in? Hobbling in. Kurt Schilling. I remember as a Yankee fan being like, oh, we're going to light you up, lame You got a bad ankle, man. We're going to bunt on you. And you know what he did? You remember this? He pitched his heart out on sheer grit and he actually shut the Yankees down. I think he started like four hits in one run over seven innings. Boston wins 4-2 on their way to the World Series. 
I think it was somewhere around the third inning, though, that people started talking because they started looking. They're called Red Sox, but they don't actually wear Red Sox. Because Schilling, with every pitch that he fired over the plate, his sock was gradually turning redder and redder, soaking through with blood. See, unbeknownst to anyone, except for the team doctor who agreed to it, before the game, Schilling voluntarily had his ankle cut open and actually requested that his tendon be stapled to the bone to hold it in place. And with every 90-mile-an-hour pitch, the suture strained and tugged and eventually tore, soaking his sanitary sock with blood. Do you know what the consensus was worldwide after the game? You would have thought Schilling came up with the solution for world peace. He was lionized. I mean, the words in the headlines, gritty, heartfelt, tenacious, determination, sheer will, champion, perseverance, legendary. Every headline, and you know what? Even Yankee fans, you remember this. We had to like grudgingly like tip our cap and be like, dude, the guy is a gamer, right? I mean, push past the breaking point. And so, pain whatever, so committed to coming through in his job in the big spot that he has his tendons stapled and sutured, shot up with cortisone so he could crank it up one more time. And I look at that picture, and I mean, it's sports legend, but this is the modern-day symbol, folks, of the Superman syndrome. A man's seemingly heroic commitment to his job that he'd literally risk life and limb to achieve his organization's goal. Win at any cost, even personal. A bloody sock. Does anybody know where this sock is today? This is the most telling cultural moment. You know where this sock is? It's not in the garbage. Where is it, Brent? It's hanging in a trophy case in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. They actually enshrined a sock as a symbol of a legendary Superman performance. I mean, picture this. A sock in a trophy case with lights on it. A gleaming symbol of all that is unquestionably good. And when you think about it, it's actually a perfect symbol for our times, isn't it? On the outside, a gritty, heroic performance that everybody applauds and they give a standing ovation to. But the unseen cost on the inside, what's the unseen cost? This tearing and this ripping damage being inflicted at the deepest places of the fabric of our being. This is a trophy to overwork, to burnout, to being so devoted to whatever it is that you do, you will pay whatever price it costs to come through, to achieve success. Question for you. What's your bloody sock? What trophy to overwork do you have on your mantle? And what did it cost you? I mean, maybe it's not a, a bloody sock, but we all have something, don't we? I mean, maybe, maybe yours is the salesman of the month plaque on your wall. And you're like, man, th but those were, the four, those were the four weeks I was top dog. I was number one in the office, as well as a stranger to my kids. It came with a price. You, you, you forgot her birthday, but she'll forgive me this time around. You missed, missed her sight or game. Because I just, but I just had to be there to close the deal. I mean, if, if, if I don't show, who's going to take care of it? So you've got the bloody sock on your desk, a plaque on the wall or a medallion on the book, salesperson of the month. Maybe you even got a bonus or a raise, but oh, how you paid for it. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you, you bring your overwork or your super mom syndrome to your kids and the house has to be spotless and decorated and just so in just a certain way. It's more actually like a museum than a home. <laughs> Always clean but never a moment of rest. And the irony of it, Hawk, is the, the home's supposed to be the sanctuary but it's actually one of the most stressful, uptight environments in your family's life. So you've got a clean house but no one actually enjoy it. Or you're a student. You feel the pressure of school. thousand pages of reading by friend. You're cramming in last minute for tests. 
You feel the guilt for the amount of time you waste on, you know, video games. And you have to pad your resume for college. So you just pile on the extracurricular activities. And join clubs you're not even interested in because, well, that's what colleges look for, isn't it? Remember this one? Or you're in college, and you know actually that's when grades actually really count. Don't tell the high schoolers it doesn't count, but it really counts in college. So you, you, you stretch the boundaries and you take some ethical liberties with the tests and essays and you cut and paste just here and there on a paper so you can get the A instead of a B plus. You stretch your moral margin and compromise just a little because you've got a bloody sock, a report card with A's taped to the fridge or a transcript that will look great on your resume. Whatever it takes. And in which God says, not good. This is... This is not the way I designed you to live. I designed you to live in balance, not burnout. To work as a means to living, not living to work. I, I designed you with limits. You are not the limitless one. I am. I'm the infinite one. And even I rested, even though I didn't have to, as an example to you. What, what are you trying to prove? What it... What are you living out of? Fear, guilt, pride? Come away with me. Get some rest and take a break from your compulsive addictions to overwork. Take a, take a Sabbath. It really is an addiction, folks. Whether it's culture imposed or self-imposed, it's a form of bondage we're all susceptible to, slavery. That's why God institutes the Sabbath and intentionally links it in Scripture with Israelite slavery. Would you look at the passage again with fresh eyes? Look at this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Special purpose. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days, go for it. You shall labor, do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You should rest. Now check this out. Remember, remember that you were slaves one time. You were so chained to it. But the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, our culture actually applauds and celebrates overload, but Sabbath is God's way of breaking our bondage to overwork and restoring balance to overloaded lives. You get this? God literally knows that our heritage is one of slavery to work. That's our spiritual heritage right here to back-breaking attempts motivated by fear and guilt and human pride. And these are not how he designed us to live. As creatures who have limits and are meant to derive actually our self-worth from her relationship to him, not our work. So now let me try to speak real specifically. You are not just a paycheck, Dad. (laughs) You are far more than a taxi service, Mom. (laughs) You are a spiritual creature, a human being with a soul that needs space and time and freedom to reconnect with your creator who is the source of your life. Catch that. You are not a human doing. you a human being. You're not defined by what you do, but by who God created you to be, a son, a daughter, a friend, a child, a child of God. Free, dearly loved, accepted as is, with nothing to prove. Because Jesus proved it all. And so to remind us of that, to, to, to stop the insanity of overload and undercut our, our vulnerability to be enslaved to overwork, God mandates margin. He reaches in, it says, and breaks the Israelite people out of bondage. He kicks Pharaoh's A, basically, and brings them out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Awesome. Not a bloody sock, but a sea of blood. 
And what's the first thing that God does with the Israelites' newfound freedom? He institutes rest. Writes it into law. That they must never again allow themselves to be enslaved to overwork. The backbreaking labor that's unfit for the free people of God. And he mandates margin, which he calls Sabbath. Saying that you can go for it for six days. Work is good, but on the seventh we're to rest. Because we have limits, and he doesn't. We are finite. He is the infinite one. The idea is that, folks, by observing the Sabbath in our life, not just on a Sunday, one day, we begin introducing a new rhythm into our lives. One that's not marked by frenzy and expectations and guilt, but by peace and actually serenity or or, or sanity. The Sabbath is is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline of slowing down and acknowledging, even on a daily basis, you know what, God, I am not you, and I hear your, and gladly accept your gift of rest. And I actually summon your strength to withdraw from my work, to push away from the desk, turn off the texting, maybe even for 15 minutes, just to be with you. And pray and let your spirit refresh my body and my mind and my soul. I mean, body first. I don't need to tell you that your body needs physical rest. You can literally work yourself to death. I, you know, I, I have I got all the stats here about skyrocketing stress and heart disease and all that. I'll spare you. But refusing to rest is actually idolatry. You know why? Because you know what it says? If you refuse to rest, or, or, I can't trust God enough if I don't personally run the universe. At my office, at my school, at my home. Give it a break. You're just not that important. Our bodies find Sabbath rest, we feel refreshed. Our emotions find rest, our spirit gets lifted. Our relationships change. When you withdraw from your speed work, you replenish bandwidth that's necessary to actually bring life to a relationship, not just your physical presence, but you can emotionally engage. You've got to withdraw. You have to seek solitude. You have to have time with God to let him pour into you to actually offer life to another. And yet, if you have relaxed muscles and a relaxed mind, it has little value unless your soul finds rest in in the acceptance of God. Spiritual renewal. Here's the deal. None of us take a Sabbath because we're finished with our work. You know this, right? Whatever you do, it will never be finished. There will always be another report to file, another sale to make, another meal to cook, another billing to design. We don't rest because our work is done. We rest because Jesus finished his work. The only work that counts and actually gives our life meaning. Do you remember this? When Jesus took to the cross and died as a sacrifice for you and me, his last three words, he actually cried out. He said, it is finished. Stop your striving and your manic attempts to prove your worth and please people. Your efforts are worthless, but you are worth everything. And that's why I've come to die for you, to give my life for years. If you believe in me, you actually follow in my steps. I'm going to put my spirit in you and take that drivenness and replace it with love and take your addictions and actually give you freedom. To carry your burden so you don't have to constantly work at providing for yourself. I'm even going to take such good care of you, you can schedule a day off. Mark it down. Put it in there. It's the day we go fishing. We spend time together. I call it the Sabbath. It's mandatory. Where father and child take the time and space to reconnect and and actually we can hear his voice and invite our creator into our chaos of our lives. From burnout to balance, that's the goal of Sabbath living. It's why God ordained it at the beginning of creation and gave it as a mandatory gift to his people in the Old Testament. 
It's why Jesus lived out of the power of the Sabbath during his life on earth. We're going to look at that next week. Here's a question. How about you? Show of hands. Just be honest. No one look around. Put your head down. No shame. Whatever. Who is in need of a Sabbath moment here? How many of you are like, I am in need of a Sabbath moment? This is going to be a challenge. We're going to get real practical here. Because taking time out to rest and actually and, and do nothing, it is not applauded in the real world. Okay? Culture sets itself against the Sabbath. I mean, I mean think, of, think of even like Sundays. What are Sundays now mainly for? Thank you. Sports and shopping, right? More busyness. <laughs> you, don't see, you don't see a lot of trophies given out for like taking a break. MVP. Doing nothing. You don't get on the cover of Sports Illustrated for having clean socks. Yet what would it be like if you adopted a countercultural rhythm of Sabbath into your everyday life? How would your experience of life be different this week? How would others' experience of you be different this week? I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, so this, this, this past week, to kind of recalibrate after this crisis with Colleen, I decided to actually start the week with a Sabbath moment. So on Tuesday, instead of going directly to work, and I was already behind, 437 emails, I thought I would stop by the Morristown Green. And spend some, they just opened up the green as we miles. Like, maybe let's go there, spend some time with God. Actually not dive right on into things. And, I mean, that's my natural impulse. Get her done, guy, you know. But, but I figured I need some time here with God, a little space, margin. So I pull my truck over early. This is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and, I, and, and, and go to the green. And actually, I, I close the door, but then I was like, oh, I can't just do nothing. So I go back. I get my iPod because I'm like, I should just listen to some podcasts or something. And I was like, no, I should. Or, so I put it back. I was kind of crazy a little bit of another end. Um, and so anyway, I, I just go alone. I'm like, I'm going alone. Just space for God. And as I'm crossing the street, I hear this voice actually going, Tim, Tim. And I was just like, God, oh my gosh. <laughs> so quick, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't God. It, it actually was Eric. Some of you may remember Eric, our friend from Friendlies, right? Eric is that single father who, uh, who actually has he, incredible story. He has heroically gone through recovery. Uh, he's a single dad, lived at Homeless Solutions, had a little daughter, Grace, two years old. And, uh, and people in our church this summer wanted to bless Eric. And so we went to where he worked at Friendly's and we gave him a $1,000 tip. Remember, that was like awesome. And, uh, and some, sometimes he's here at Liquid. And so, uh, so I was like, Eric, what's, so we start talking. And Eric is like, I, I can't tell you what's happened in the last four days. He goes, you know, I got custody of Grace. He said, but I had physical custody. On Friday, after weeks and weeks, I got legal custody of my daughter. He said, you understand, physical custody, legal custody. He goes, this opens up everything. And I was like, awesome. That's awesome. So we, we slapped hands. And he goes, no, there, there's more. Because I got legal custody of my daughter. We qualified for a housing voucher. One of th- just 300 people. And we spent this whole weekend... I walked around the streets of Morristown with Grace. We're looking for a place to live. Most of the stuff were too high priced, but I finally found one. It's actually next door to your office. It's two bedrooms. It's, it's got a nurse. I can pay a nursery and a kitchen. The state's going to pay 70%, and, and my wages at Friendly's are just about going to cover the rest, including Grace's daycare. I'm like, are you, are you, what? I was like just amazed. And we like, we're high five and we're like hugging, and, and we actually end up talking for 45 minutes. Before, just, I could not believe this. And before Eric had to go to a shift at Friendly's. And, and, and after he left, I, I was just like stood there. I, I, was like, I was like, how cool is that? God is at work even when I'm not. <laughs> and and it, it dawned on me, reminded me. I was like, God is always providing 
and caring for people in all sorts of ways that I could never even imagine if I worked like a madman around the clock. And, and as Eric left, I just like, I just like kept, I was like, thank you. God, you are amazing. God, you are like incredible. God, you are, I'm going to sing. It's so like, I like start singing here and it's, it's not great, but I just got this sense of like God's goodness, just like pouring like a river, just kind of flooding the city of Morristown. I was just like overwhelmed by the sense of his presence and his power. And I'm like, just, just like, I'm just like, God, thank you. What you did for Eric in such a short time. And I just started praying, praying for our church, praying for you guys, for every person who emailed, for our staff, for our city, and for, for the, everybody. I was like, help us, Lord. We, it was a sweet time. I walked for an hour and 15 minutes in a circle. And actually I had to put my sunglasses because I, I start crying at the sense of what, God, you are incredible. It's, I guess that's called worship. This overwhelming sense of God's presence. And then I got in my truck and went to work. A different person. I came through that door the same, but I came through a different person. Refreshed, renewed, my heart awakened to what, who God is, what he's doing. A true Sabbath moment before I began my day and then put it in drive. And then I thought this. How many of those Sabbath moments are all around us every day that we fail to see because we're busy? Because we've got more important stuff to do. Or feel like we don't have time for for any reflection or rest because if we're not there, who's going to take care of things? Maybe the same person who took care of Eric How much of God's presence do you miss out? Do I miss out? Because we prefer the burden of overwork or put our Superman cape on first thing every morning. Or actually just have become accustomed to the workload that comes with working in Egypt. And we can't imagine actually any other reality. Folks, this is an invitation to rest, to take one small step This week, starting tomorrow, Monday, from burnout to balance. There is another way. And it begins with reintroducing the rhythms of Sabbath living into your everyday life. I mean, I'm not even talking about like a full 24-hour day yet. You know I'm all about small steps. We're not even getting to a day. This week, I want to challenge you to divert daily. And next week, we'll talk about withdrawing weekly. But we start with divert daily. We're going to get there. I want to challenge your approach to tomorrow morning, Monday a.m. Because if Scripture doesn't have anything to say about Monday a.m., what's the point? I want to challenge you to take one small step towards Sabbath sanity tomorrow. Here's what it is. could be any of these things. Think about what this is for you. Start filling the blanks. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's what I was just talking about. Maybe it's the first 15, the first 15 minutes of your day tomorrow or early morning. Instead of going you know, straight to work, you, you swing by the park with your Bible. Or just to listen and, and, and pray and sing off key like me. Okay. Or, or, or maybe it's not in the morning. Maybe it's midday. I don't know what you do. I don't know if you're in a classroom or in a boardroom or office or whatever. Maybe at lunch you push away from your desk and don't actually just watch YouTube while eating Doritos. And you take a walk to invite God into the middle of your day and actually ask him to refresh your spirit for the afternoon meetings instead of actually just having another cup of coffee because i got to keep on or maybe it's at dinner time tomorrow. You get home and you do something unprecedented tomorrow night. You turn off your Blackberry and you will miss some emails, but maybe you won't miss your kids. Small step. What is it for you? Maybe your Sabbath moment 
will come this week by saying no to a seemingly good opportunity that presents itself or someone expects you to do something or or a project at work or an invitation of a friend or a request for someone at school and that even you feel compelled to do it, people are expecting you to, but you actually draw a boundary and you say, no. And and you take take all the guilt you feel and actually bring it to God and ask him to take that as well. (laughs) Because he's not disappointed in you. In fact, could it be that you may experience for the first time the freedom and liberation that he's desired for you all along? What is it for you? What would be your small step tomorrow you could do? What would it be? Maybe it's admitting your your limits out loud (laughs) for the first time in your life. There's something therapeutic about it. I feel good. You're like, I'm, I, I am over, Tim, you're overbooked? I am overbooked, dude. And you need to cancel one thing this week because it, you realize, will be the straw that breaks the camel's back or your marriage or your kids or your relationship or your fill in the blank. Take off the cape and just say, you know, I have nothing left. And maybe you take a Sabbath moment with your partner and tell them where you've been putting up a really good front and I need your help. And together you take that before God and ask him, would you give us the clarity about what really matters and what needs to change? One small step that you could take tomorrow towards Sabbath sanity. I want to invite you to take out your connection card at this moment and write down whatever it is that comes to mind right now. Literally, what is it right now? Take out your connection card. You know, it always says my next step from today's message is what's your next step tomorrow based on what we've been talking about today? What, what, what could that one thing be? Just capture it right now. Write it out and be honest. Two, two things, two things happen when you write something down. First off, it kind of like, it, it puts a little stake in the ground. Like, hey, this is, a, God's impressing this on me right now. I think he's speaking to me. I don't think it's that crazy guy up there. I think it's God. I'm going to write it down. And then two, we're going to pray for you real specifically. And I hope you will pray for me too. I hope you will. We're in this together. Or, or post your thoughts or stories at liquidchurch.com. Uh, that's where we'll be posting some of mine. And, and the more specific together... We are in this together, and and this is a first step, battling back, restoring the Sabbath. God's margin is your first step towards restoring sanity. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's doable. Let's pray. God, as we uh, even write these things down, holy moment, God. We just want a holy moment here. We've heard from you. Thank you, God, for the Sabbath. Thank you for a gift. Thank you for being generous, God. Thank you for calling us back from burnout to a life of balance. Thank you, Lord, for long ago breaking the chains of overwork so your people could live a life of freedom. Freedom from guilt and fear and pride. Jesus, this week, would you let us take one step into your rest? God, to find the space in the time to reassess everything we're giving ourselves to and, and, and reestablish the priorities of, of, of love, love of you, love of those we're called into relationship with. Lord, would you give us courage to make some hard decisions, even to take a single hesitant step towards Sabbath living tomorrow. Send your spirit to give us peace and an awareness that you are our provider, God. You're constantly at work. You are with us. And you have given us the power in Jesus Christ for a new kind of life. And we all said together, Amen. Let it be so.